Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. We're glad you can join us as Pastor Dane Skelton shares a weekly message to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Dane. Please turn uh, to 1 Peter. Turn your Bibles in 1 Peter. We're talking about today rebuilding the sacred community. We aren't just any community. We are a sacred community, a spiritual house where God lives. Rod Dreher is a journalist and author, and in his second most recent book, The Benedict Option, he told the story of Lance Kinzer. Lance Kinzer was a 10-year Republican veteran of the Kansas legislature who left his seat in 2014 and travels the country now as an advocate of religious liberty legislation in state houses. Kinzer said, I was a very normal evangelical Christian, Republican, and everything that comes with that, particularly a belief that this is our country in a way that was probably not healthy. Well, 2014, by the way, if you'll recall, was the year that the Supreme Court of the United States Obergefell decision came down that legalized same-sex marriage in America. And anticipating that and some of the problems that would flow from that, Kansas Republicans tried to expand religious liberty protections to cover wedding vendors and cake makers and photographers and things like that. Kinzer thought the bills would pass the House and the Senate easily, and then the conservative Governor Brownback would sign it into law. He was wrong. The Kansas Chamber of Commerce, says Dreher, came out strongly against the bill. State and national media exploded with their customary indignation. Kinzer, who was a pro-life leader in the House, after all, was used to tough press coverage, but the firestorm over religious liberty was like nothing he had ever seen. The bill passed the Kansas House, but was killed in the Republican-controlled Senate. And that left Kinzer reeling. It was very disorienting, he said. I had conversations with people that I felt like I had carried water for and considered friends at a deep political level who in very public, very aggressive ways were trying to undermine some fairly benign religious liberty protections. The reality of the cultural moment, he said, hit him and made him realize that it was more important to shore up his local church community than to continue his legislative work. It's easy, said Kinzer, when you've chosen politics as a vocation, to convince yourself that you're doing fundamental work for the kingdom by what you're doing in the legislature. I started to question that. It's not whether or not it was worthwhile to have worked on those issues, but rather a growing sense inside of me that there is a real work of cultural reclamation and renewal, not outside the church, but inside the church, that really needs to happen first before we can think about long-term goals. He went home and in his own congregation, he started leading a small group through Augustine's City of God, which is no small task, but We were talking about this in our uh, Sunday school study earlier this morning about Christians learning how to think beyond just Jesus and me and aren't I happy. Now, as an American, 
and I'm no longer quoting, but as an American, I owe it to Caesar to continue advocating for biblical truths about our lives in the body politic. But I think Kinzer is right. We must keep our priorities straight. And right now, as the church and the world emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic, we need to be thinking deeply and acting wisely to renew and reclaim the church. And that's why I'm starting a four-part series today titled Rebuilding the Sacred Community, because that is our task as we go forward in 2021, to rebuild the sacred community one life at a time. The Apostle Peter, writing to churches scattered all over the Northern Roman Empire, living under extremely hostile cultural and political conditions, described the church as a sacred community, chosen strangers, set aside by God for His purposes. And the thing is, I'm not sure we know our purposes. Up until the 1980s, Christianity was so much the cultural norm in America that we didn't have to think too hard about it. This is what Kinzer said about how he grew up as an evangelical. He said, I grew up very much with the idea church was a place you go to for teaching and fellowship, but you're really there for a kind of pep talk before you go out there and live your real life the rest of the week. That is no longer enough. At one time, the culture was Christianized and it supported a shallow kind of Christianity like that. That's no longer the case. We are trying to write moral and ethical checks on a spiritual bank account to which we, have no, we are no longer making deposits as a culture. Kinzer continued, Evangelicals who always believed that there was some sort of silent majority with them must come to terms with the fact that this is just not true. It's difficult, it's disorienting, but it is vital for the health of Christianity and even for Christian engagement in the political sphere for us to do just that. And it needs to be more than just an intellectual exercise. You need forms of living that reinforce your distinctiveness, that reinforce the kind of strangers in exile sense that's well grounded in Scripture. And we're going to be talking about those kinds of forms over the next few weeks. So I'm beginning this series today to ask us all to go deeper, to really take it personally and think about what it means to rebuild the sacred community, to live like chosen strangers in a foreign land. So we begin with 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, where he says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So Peter says, we are a spiritual house built on Christ the cornerstone. 
We're a spiritual house. The church is a spiritual house built on Christ the cornerstone. Now, what he's quoting there is he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, about that cornerstone. But the surrounding verses give the context, the surrounding verses to Isaiah 28, 16. Beginning in verse 15, Isaiah wrote, speaking to Israel, You boast, we have entered into a covenant with death, with the realm of the dead we have made an agreement. With an over, when an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it cannot touch us. For we have made a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. We have made a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. In other words, the Israelites of Isaiah's time were living by a big lie. And that lie was that their alliance with Egypt, that's what he's talking about when he says you've made an alliance with death, their alliance with Egypt would protect them from Assyria who was on the march. They had departed, the Israelites had departed from revealed truth about who they were and who God was, and they had embraced this big spiritual lie. So God says, I'm laying a cornerstone, and you're either going to bow to it or you're going to stumble over it. So let's talk for a moment about the characteristics of God's cornerstone. First was it was tested. That is, it was genuine, it was true, it was the real thing. He said it was sure, that is, it was solid, it was immovable. No storm or trouble would move it. And the cornerstone, as every builder knows, is the true north. It's the starting point from which every other dimension is measured. Anything that squares with the cornerstone is true. Anything else is out of true is the way we think about it when we're building. So the Israelites were living out of true. Again, in New Testament times, when Jesus used this prophecy, and in the Old Testament times, Jesus used this prophecy to condemn the Pharisees in Matthew 21, 42. He quotes this same verse. But Christ Jesus is not just any cornerstone. He is not simply the founder of a new religion or a new take on an old one. The late 19th century was a breeding ground for new religions and spiritualities in America and Great Britain and the rest of the world. Many of them were twisted versions of Christianity. So for example, you could call Mary Baker Eddy the cornerstone of Christian science. You could call Joseph Smith and maybe his follower Brigham Young as the cornerstones of Mormonism. You could call Charles Taze Russell as the cornerstone of Jehovah's Witnesses. But all of those people died. And the only thing they left behind were twisted interpretations of biblical Christianity. Christ Jesus is not like one of those cornerstones. Christ is the living stone. He is the living cornerstone. He did not come to offer a new law just to replace the law of Moses. He came and fulfilled the law of Moses in the flesh. Christ did not come and die and leave behind a twisted version of anything. Jesus lives today and inhabits his people today, giving life to our mortal bodies, as Paul said, through his spirit who lives in us. The living stone is the person of Christ who has life in himself. That's what he said in the Gospel of John. And he gives life to all who call on him. 
John chapter 5, verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. So the living stone gives to all who call upon Him eternal life. And eternal life, as you know, is something that starts right now. It doesn't start when we die. It starts right now. It is a life consistent and uh, in charge or charged by, energized the Holy Spirit. So it is solid, it's immovable, it is life that is in harmony, it is life that is squared up with reality. In other words, the way that God made the world and the way it works. By contrast, our world is embracing made-up reality. And that fact puts us as believers at odds with it. Let me go back and quote again from Rod Dreher. In a different book, his most recent book, Live Not by Lies, a Manual for Christian Dissidents. Back in the Soviet era, he says, totalitarianism demanded love for the party and compliance with the party's demands was enforced by the state. Today's totalitarianism, this he calls it soft totalitarianism, demands allegiance to a set of progressive beliefs, many of which are incompatible with logic and certainly with Christianity. Compliance is forced less by the state than by elites who form public opinion and by private corporations that, thanks to technology, control our lives far more than we would like to admit. Today in our societies, dissenters from the woke party line find their businesses, careers, and reputations destroyed. They are pushed out of the public square, stigmatized, canceled, and demonized as racists, sexists, homophobes, and the like. Now, you may remember, if you read my blog this week, that this just happened the past week. Ryan Anderson's book, When Harry Became Sally, one of the most scholarly and respectful uh, research works on the transgender moment was pulled from all of Amazon.com's uh, portals, if you would. It's still available at Barnes & Noble so far. It's still available on ChristianBook.com. But Amazon, as you know, is the, is the elephant in the marketplace for all books nowadays. And Ryan Anderson's book was pulled by Amazon.com. That's just one example. But Dreher says... We are called homophobes and the like, and they are afraid to resist because they are confident that no one will join them or defend them. They are confident that no one will join them or defend them. Our world has, in Isaiah's words, embraced a lie, and it is insisting that believers embrace it with them. I was at a pastor's conference last week. We were talking about some of these things. And uh, an attorney who was making a presentation, I believe it was with the attorney, it may have been one of the other fellows who presented, was talking about the things that go on in these negotiations on the state and national level and about whether or not evangelical Christians were invited to be part of these discussions about policies that will affect all of our lives, all of our children's lives for generations to come. They're not being invited to the table. And here's what one of the people 
who does not want a Christian at the table said, if you don't have a seat at the table, then you are on the menu. So like I said, our world has, in Isaiah's words, embraced a lie and is insisting that believers embrace it. And if that describes our experience, and I'm telling you, it is increasingly going to, then we need to take to heart what Peter says next. Verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter is piling up metaphors. Spiritual house, royal priesthood. Later on he's going to talk about, uh, mention the priesthood again. I'm going to slow it down. He's piling up these metaphors in order to illustrate what it actually means to be a Christian. I'm going to slow it down and take them piece by piece. Because each one of them has something relevant to say to us in how we function as a church today. So when he calls us a spiritual house, he means that we belong to the family of God. And belonging to the family of God has two equally important ramifications for us. Number one, we belong to a worldwide, global, invisible community. Number two, we need to belong to a local, visible community. So let's take that first one first. We belong to a global, invisible community. We aren't just any community. We aren't the bowling league. We aren't the cancer society. We aren't the local country club. We are a sacred community, as if we recall from last week. That means we're a set aside, a holy community by God. We are a spiritual house where God lives. We are part of an invisible community that is both earthly and heavenly. Everyone born of the Spirit of God is part of that invisible community. And the Bible talks about it in several different ways. Let me just give you a few. Jesus said... No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And Nicodemus immediately starts thinking what? Local, physical reality. What? He's going to go back in his mama's womb and be born again? Jesus says, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. He points him to a spiritual reality, an invisible reality. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians, explained that all believers, no matter their ethnicity or station in life, are part of the invisible reality body of Christ. You can look that up in 1 Corinthians 12 and other places. So it doesn't matter if you live in Halifax County, Virginia or outer Siraji, India. You are part of the global, invisible one body of Christ. It goes on. It talks about those who have died in Christ and gone on before us are still part of this invisible Community. Do you remember where Jesus, in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, the transfiguration happens? Peter and, and uh, James and John are with Jesus high up on the mountain. They see Jesus transfigured before them. His clothes become bright like white sunshine. And then who's with him? Elijah and Moses. John the Baptist wasn't there yet. Good try. He wasn't there yet. But he sees both of those people who, what, died millennia before New Testament times. 
Jesus says when he comes back again, this is in Thessalonians, rather Paul wrote it, when he comes back again, he is going to bring with him those who have died in Christ. We are part of an invisible, global, heavenly community. And that's really cool. That's where our hope is. And we have many benefits because of that. The first and probably most important, definitely most important to most of us, especially during a pandemic, is our hope in the face of death. People who die in Christ are not dead. They're just gone for now. They're not inhabiting their earthly bodies. We have hope. My older brother, Mike, died suddenly of a heart attack in 2010. And I stood in the funeral parlor with one of his best friends just before they closed the casket to load it onto the hearse to take it to the church. And we were all, this, this friend and I, were all part of this uh, motorcycle escort because they, we were all motorcycle riders together. Mike was with these guys. And they hadn't closed the casket yet. And I could tell that Mike's friend was in shock because there was his buddy who just a few days ago had been talking to him and riding motorcycles with stiff as a stone and I said Greg this is not Mike and I reached over and patted his riding suit they buried him in his in his high dollar riding suit just killed me I wanted that suit so bad <laughs> I reached over and patted him I said this is not Mike he's not here he's alive and we'll see him again and you can have this hope too, it's in Jesus. He was in shock. I was hurting, but he was in shock. I'm pretty sure he had, he had already been imbibing and it made me a little worried about our motorcycle ride together. But after the service, after the funeral service, he came back up to me and he said, I've been to a lot of funerals and I have never seen one like this. You guys are hurting and you're honest about that, but I've never seen so many people happy at a funeral. And I said, Greg, it's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. So the greatest benefit to belonging to the invisible community is our hope in the face of death. Second, we belong in 100 languages. We have a million brothers, millions of brothers and sisters in hundreds of languages. I have another brother, not my physical brother, not my blood brother, but he's a brother in Christ. His name is Harka Kodka, and he lives in Nepal. And I met him a couple of years ago in 2018, and I just feel so close to Harka. Now, Harka speaks horrible English. I don't speak Nepalese at all. I speak English okay. But Harka and I have a bond that's closer than some of me and my neighbors that I've lived in my community for 20 years because our bond is in Christ. We have a commonality in Christ. If you are a member of the invisible community, you have millions of brothers and sisters all around the world with whom you have a closer bond in some ways than the people that you grew up with or the people that you live around. If you're part of the invisible community, the Bible is a living book to you. Before you were part of this invisible community, it probably didn't mean much to you. You probably had one, most Americans do, on a shelf somewhere. They used to ride around back, you know how you had a hat shelf on the back, of, back seat of your car? Our cars don't have those much anymore. 
But you probably had one in your house. It was covered with dust. And if you happened to open and read it a bit, it seemed kind of dry and meaningless. But then you became a part of the invisible community and that Bible came alive to you. And when you open it, you're talking to God and you're listening to God and he's being a guide to you because you're part of that invisible community. As part of the invisible community, we offer up, Peter says, spiritual sacrifices together. We offer the sacrifice of praise, Hebrews 13, 15. We offer the sacrifice of giving, Philippians 4, 18. We offer the sacrifice of service, like Christ. We give ourselves up for others as a fragrant offering. That's a sacrifice, Ephesians 5, 2. We offer the sacrifice of prayer. We offer the sacrifice of obedience. We offer our bodies as spiritual sacrifices, and we do that together. All of the invisible community does that, but we do it together. And as part of that spiritual house, we do everything that we can to line ourselves up with the cornerstone so that everything about our lives is true and squared up with him. So we're part of God's great invisible family and we enjoy a whole series of benefits because of it. An inheritance, as Peter said earlier, which will never spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. We are living stones being built into a spiritual house. And that's awesome. But as part of the invisible community, we're supposed to be part of a visible community. All that being true, here's the problem faced by every Christian in America right now and all over the world. God says we are living stones being built into a spiritual house. But right now, many of us are more like loose bricks scattered all over the neighborhood. COVID-19 and the restrictions it has imposed on gatherings and the fear that it has engendered in the whole country has had a devastating effect on the spiritual lives and the well-being of everyone in the visible church, in the local community. When I was in college, I served, I worked with a brick a mason crew, a masonry crew one summer. I didn't learn how to lay a single brick. All I was good for was driving the forklift. I'm pretty good with machines, and so I had this big low forklift, four-wheel drive, four-wheel steering thing. And so my job was to keep the brick mason supplied with bricks and mortar. I did get pretty good at making mud. And so I was on that forklift all day long and putting brick, cubes of brick, half cubes of bricks up on the scaffolding, putting up big uh, pans of mortar up on the scaffolding. And it was fun and dangerous work. So uh, one week we had, a, we had bad rain and we finally got back out on the job site after the rains had cleared. And the masons were working on a wall of a house that was, they were probably 15 feet up on the scaffolding. And uh, it, was, it wasn't a house, rather, it was, it was an office complex, but they were colonial style, so they looked like houses. And I gingerly worked the forklift up and shot that load of bricks out on the scaffolding and eased my way back, and forklifts didn't touch a thing. And all of a sudden, 
all those brick maces started running like scared squirrels and jumping in the windows of the unfinished building. I thought, what's happening? Well, the rain had undermined the scaffolding and it was coming off that wall in slow motion. It was the funniest thing. And it just went crash and bricks and mortar and scaffolding went everywhere. To me as a pastor, that's what COVID-19 has done to the church. It's like a slow motion scattering of all the bricks in the spiritual house. It's not nearly as funny as what I saw that day. It's actually kind of tragic and upsetting. It is time to gather back up and reset the scaffolding and get back to building God's house. God's house is the visible community. And why is that so important? We have been restricted from meeting with the whole congregation for a year now. And one of my concerns is that we've grown accustomed to it. But the real benefits of the invisible church can only be experienced when people identify themselves with and commit to a visible church in a specific location. When Peter wrote this letter, he was writing not to scattered individuals, but scattered churches, local congregations all over the Roman Empire who gathered to worship and hear this letter read and sing songs like we did this morning and offer prayers like we did this morning, who gathered and shared the Lord's Supper and shared meals together and met each other's needs, who gathered and did that. Same thing with Paul and all the letters that he wrote to the Corinthians and the Galatians and the Colossians. I've been deriving great benefit lately from listening to Alistair Begg on Truth For Life. You can look him up, truthforlife.org, when I work out in the mornings. I think Alistair has said this well. God expects every member of his invisible body to be a functioning member of a local body, a functioning member. And indeed, when you think in terms of the visible church, each of the metaphors, whether it is a flock or a building or a body or whatever, each of the metaphors only works when you think in terms of a vital and close relationship with other Christians. A vital, a close relationship. Because, for example, one sheep doesn't make a flock. One brick doesn't make a building. One limb doesn't make a body. And one individual doesn't make a family. Those are all the metaphors in the New Testament for this spiritual house. So if you are listening to this podcast and I'm sending it out to our whole list as soon as Kevin is able to get it loaded. I know that you are frightened. And if you haven't had a vaccine or had the virus and recovered, I understand your reluctance. But I am encouraging you to come back to church, and here's why. Probably the best example is one of our members, a dear lady, shared on social media last week that she is so lonely, she's actually answering robocalls and talking to them. Now, that's, that's pretty desperate. People are experiencing unprecedented levels of depression and anxiety. You know why? 
we were not made to be apart from one another. We are social creatures. And we need each other. People are growing so accustomed to watching a, a preacher on TV or listening to a podcast that even if they have a vaccine, they're staying home. That is not healthy for your spiritual life or the life of your brothers and sisters in the visible community. It's not, health, it's not good for your mental health. And if it's not good for your mental health, it's not good for your physical health, believe it or not. Nor is it obedient to the mission God has called every church to do. And one of those is to offer up spiritual sacrifices together. No preacher can do for you on a video or a podcast what the body of Christ can do for you in person and what you can do for other members of the body of Christ in person. No Zoom meeting, and I've had plenty of them, can do for you what an in-person meeting will do. You know what happens in a Zoom meeting? You're looking at your camera and that guy's looking at his camera or you're looking at his face on the screen and he's looking at his camera. You're not meeting eye to eye. You're not having that intimate human communication that only two people in the same physical space can have. And that's important. So you need someone who can look you in the eye and listen empathetically. You need someone who can sit across from you and if they're wearing a mask or whatever, they can put their hand on your shoulder and pray for you. And you can do the same for them. You need to eat a meal and share communion with the family of God. You need the body of Christ and it needs you. You need mentoring and disciplining and, and disciplining and encouragement and instruction and even rebuke from others in the household of God, just like we get from our earthly families. You know, your brothers and sisters can call you on stuff that nobody else can call you on. And certainly no preacher on a Zoom cast can do. You need to hear as other priests offer up their spiritual offerings and sacrifices. You need to hear that because that edifies you. You need to be in the room with them because that edifies or in this, I'll say, physical space with them because that edifies you and it edifies them in a way that no podcast can do. And they need to be with you as you offer up yours. And hear how you're interacting with God. So the weather is improving. The vaccines are coming. We have plenty of space to keep our distance while we worship together. We've got the annex next door. Plenty of space to spread out in there. We've got the pavilion outside. We've got a radio broadcast going, a local radio broadcast going. We've got an overflow room in the back. You can wear a mask. You can keep your distance. We've got plenty of room. But you need to be with your brothers and sisters in a local community. And we need to do it now. It is time to rebuild the sacred community one life at a time. You are a brick in God's spiritual house, and we are not complete without you.
Let me close with an invitation for those of you who don't have a community yet, who are not part of the invisible community or the visible community, and you may be listening to this podcast. The cornerstone is precious to all who believe. That's what the scripture says. Because all of our hope is in him and because we try to square up our lives with him, that's how who, he's how we order our lives. But some people listening today haven't done that yet. I want to read to you Romans 9.33 where Paul is quoting uh, Isaiah again and he's talking about the cornerstone. But I want to read it to you in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. Careful. I've put a huge stone on the road to Mount Zion, a stone you can't get around. But the stone is me. If you're looking for me, you'll find me on the way, not in the way. Peter says it's a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. But I love how Peterson says this. If you're looking for me, I'm a stone that's on the way. I'm not in your way. Some of us stumble over Jesus. We'd rather draw our own line. We'd rather be our own cornerstone. And so it's my duty to warn you that a day of reckoning is coming when the master builder, who is the owner of the house and who's the one that wrote the building code and who set the cornerstone, is coming for an inspection. And all that is not true to the chief cornerstone, that is Jesus, will be swept away. Make Jesus your cornerstone. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the images that you have given us in the New Testament to help us understand who and what we are. They were not just scattered rocks out there, scattered bricks all over the place doing our own thing. We are actually part of an unbelievable, invisible community that will be number, that numbers <laughs> we can't count. It's like the sands of the sea. But that you've given us the local church so that we can see who and what we belong to. And we can be part and we can grow and we can heal and we can go through suffering in life together, all of those things. So I pray for all my friends listening today and ask God that you would give them the courage, give them what they need to be able to come back and be part of the local community. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.